Cheryl Broderson, and I'm in studio with Jasmine Allnut. And we're so glad that you joined us. We're going to talk about somebody really interesting today, aren't yes. we? Yes. On women worth knowing. <laughs> yes, we are. Remember, Cheryl, we, we've been bracing you for this. We're going to share sometimes about women that are a little unusual. Yes. And this is going to break your heart. <laughs> oh. I'm just going to tell you. Tell it's us gonna, now. Get us ready for it. But it just shows that you can have a really great, just a time of giving yourself to the Lord and kind of fall from that. So we're going to talk about Anna Spafford. Mm -hmm. And she's famously known as the wife of Horatio Spafford, Mm -hmm. who wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. We'll get to this. She was born in uh, March 16th, 1842 in Norway. Mm. And her father um, had all these uh, Norwegian friends and relatives that moved to Chicago. And so they were writing them like, oh, you know, there's so much food. There's so much farming land. You need to come over. So he sold everything. And he came with his second wife, which was Anna's mother. So Anna had a stepbrother and a stepsister that came a little bit later. But he comes over with Anna's mother. And they're in Chicago, and it's miserable. They have to live in tenement. I mean, they could not find work, and it was poor, Mm. and the winters were so hard. And it just wasn't anything that they thought it was going to be. And her mother ended up passing away from how terrible um, everything was. And they had a little brother at this time, too. And he also passed away. I mean, they just... Tragic. The mother and the brother died in the tenements because of the squalor. I think they even got cholera. I mean, it was bad and dirty and filthy. So the father brings over his other daughter and his son over from Norway. Like, surprise, this is what (laughs) life is like. But he has his older daughter, Rachel, help take care of Anna. And at this time, she's still... She's pretty little. Anne... Tobina Larstada Oglin. I couldn't even say this. Oh She's my got a goodness, full, Norwegian name. <laughs> yes, but they all took American names. So she became Anna. And so at this time, the sister Rachel is taking care of everything when the father hears about this land in Michigan that they can move to. So he decides the whole family is going to move to Michigan. It's about 30 hours by cart. So they go and she just hates it because she's, mm. by this time, she's 16. Mm. Uh, Rachel says, no, I'm getting married, and she stays. And Anna had been in this school for girls and just loved education. She loved being with other girls. And now she moves to Michigan, where it's really a harsh, harsh snow, can't see anything, and she has to to do all this drudgery. I mean, she's Rachel's gone. She has to do the cooking, the cleaning, the skinning of animals, the killing of chickens. I mean, it's like brutal work and she absolutely detests it. So it's really snowy. Her father goes out. Her father ends up getting sick and her brother and she are stuck there till the snow melts. And so she makes her way back to Chicago and some people take her in and she's living with these, with a friend and her parents and her friend is saying to her, she goes back to the Dearborn place, but she, she really can't afford it. And so her friend takes her to Sunday school, and the Sunday school teacher happens to be Horatio Spafford. Mm. He's a successful lawyer, and at this point, he's 29, and he's teaching Sunday school class at the Presbyterian. How old is she? Is she 15. Oh, and, she's, oh she's very yeah, young. She's okay, 15, yeah. and she hates the class. She just, like, she doesn't believe in the Lord. She just wants to be an atheist because her life has gone so hard. Right. And she's, like, one of the first atheists, and she's very um, outspoken in her atheism. She's just, like, Mm. has no interest at all in being a Christian. But Horatio Spafford, from the first time he sees her, he's totally attracted to her. And because she's tall and beautiful, he has no idea that she's only 15. So he begins to visit that house just like, hi, how are you doing? And um, she 
she falls in love with him. So she begins to, nobody's really sure whether she got saved or if she's just like acting like she's saved because she's in love with Horatio. And she also sees Horatio, he's a lawyer, he's successful, as her way out of poverty. Mm. And Horatio Spafford comes from the Spaffords of um, New England were very, very famous and very, the whole uh, family or, was very yeah. wealthy and um, successful. Yeah. So he has one brother that, uh, I'm sorry, he has one cousin, another Spafford, who's the governor of Nevada, another Spafford who's the governor of Idaho. I mean, like the Spaffords are making their mark. Yeah. They're doing novel things and they're just like trailblazers. And so she sees like, this is great. This will deliver me from everything. And (laughs) she really seems to be sincerely in love. Well, he asks her to marry him and she says, yes. And then he finds out she's only 16 years old. So he (laughs) says, you know, no, 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 no. I'm, you know, I'm 30, you're 16. It could have been okay back then. We're going to have to wait. Right. (laughs) So he sends her with his own money. He sends her to finishing school. So she goes three years to school and she does really, 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 really well in Mm. school. And then after three years, they get married. And so she has a succession of of children. They get married uh, September 5th, 1861. What's that day say to you? You're on the verge Civil of- Civil War. The verge oh of the boy. Civil War. Yeah. So anyway, he has become friends with Moody, Horatio, because hmm. Horatio and Moody were both teaching at the uh, YMCA. However, I have to say this, Horatio had his reservations about Moody. He thought Moody was just a little bit wild. Remember, Horatio is a Presbyterian. Yeah. And he's a lawyer. More reserved. And, you know, Moody wasn't educated beyond 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And he's a little bit wild. They say he butchers the English language. And Horatio <laughs> is super, super refined. Yeah. So they teach together and on their friends. But Moody just presumed on that friendship. Like, yeah, we're best friends. And Horatio is like, okay, maybe. But, you know, that was just how it was. So anyway, Horatio and Anna get married and he buys this house on, it's called Lakeview, right on the lake, you know, Lake Michigan. And Mm. it's just this beautiful house. And he wanted to get Anna out of Chicago because Chicago was getting so polluted at this time. So he wants to get her out of Chicago. And this is just a great place. And then she has three girls just right in succession. Um, She has Annie, Maggie, and Elizabeth, who they call Bessie in 1862, 1863, and 1866. So this is during the Civil War. And Moody keeps pulling Horatio into all his like war efforts, like, right. hey, help me, you know, make Chaplain money here and help me and, yeah. to do this. Uh, Moody loves business and Horatio puts himself across as a good businessman. So they even do some investments together. So Horatio goes over to England for some of these investments and there he meets John Nelson Darby. And maybe you've heard of John yes. Nelson Darby. Yeah. So he was one of the first people to teach a position called premillennialism. Mm-hmm. And so he took a very literal interpretation of Revelation, which a lot of people had not done for years. Mm-hmm. They saw it only as allegory or actually most pastors wouldn't even touch it. Right. But he puts... He puts Revelation together with Daniel, with Isaiah, mm-hmm. and he begins to see um, a timetable, which we would call eschatology or for the last days or end times. Yes. And he sees the rapture and he comes up with the idea of the rapture. He's not the first. And, you know, some people say, oh, he's the first to invent it. But no, there were many just, early church fathers who also believed in right. the rapture. He was almost just resurrecting, resurrecting it. Exactly. Something. Horatio comes back from London and he's just like the rapture, premillennial, Jesus is coming. Hmm. But then he begins to kind of develop his own kind of theology around this. Hmm. 
1871, by this time they've had their fourth daughter, Tanetta, and they're they're living on this house, but he's heavily invested in all this property in Chicago. And here's something that he shouldn't have done. He has people that have their like inheritances and their money and they're safeguarding it with him. He's supposed to just safeguard it and not mm. do speculative investments, but just good investments. He's like a stockbroker, right. right? Okay. But he invested in all this land, which was really speculative, Ooh. but it looked like it was going to go really well until 1871. So 1871, for those who don't know in Chicago, it was the great Chicago fire. Mm-hmm. And this will explain something about the fire. Chicago had 532 miles of roads running through it. And of Amazing. that 532 miles, only 70 miles were asphalt. Oh. And do you know what the others, the other mileage miles were? What? Wood? Wooden. Oh, man. Wooden. So when. Tinderbox. <laughs> yes. So when a cow kicked over a kerosene <laughs> lamp in a, bar, in a barn, and they called it Farmer Bessie's Barn, oh, when the cow kicked over the kerosene lamp, it. It just exploded into flame and it hit those wooden roads, mm. those wooden, you know, um, planks or planks. Yeah. And it just went like dominoes. The fire just spread, burning one wooden plank after another. And so, what happened is all these people fled to Lakeview for refuge because it's right on the on lake. The water smart, and yeah. the fire did not reach Lakeview. So, Anna is just. She's like amazing. She's cutting bandages. She's mm. nursing all the sick. And she didn't even feel that well because Tanetta is just a little tiny baby. And she hadn't wow. recovered fully from this pregnancy. And yet she's serving so hard, all these people. They had to be evacuated. But when they came back, their house was totally intact. Miraculous. But, but what happened is the property that he invested in burned up. Oh, with so other now, people's money. With other Ooh. people's money. So he doesn't want to tell Anna how how badly they're doing financially. So he's got this one deal because he's invested all these other people's money. He's got this one deal and this man's going to buy this property. And once this man buys this property, everything's all right. He can repay all of the places that he's borrowed in. And so it's going to be all right. Let me say this. One of the people he borrowed from was Hetty Green. Do you know who Hetty Green is? Not sure. She was a millionaire way back when, and uh-huh. she lived like a homeless person. Oh, yes. Hetty Green. Lady. Okay, mm-hmm. interesting. What is she called? Something, the Witch of Wall Street. But anyway, he even borrowed from her, and she was charging him this incredible interest. It was like this crazy, Yikes. he was making just one bad decision built on one bad decision, and he didn't share anything with Anna. He didn't want Anna Ugh. to know. So in the meantime, Horatio began to disbelieve in doctors. He began to think that doctors weren't good, that doctors were evil. And so he had a homeopathic doctor who Mm. would just give like herbs and these special formulas for things. So you can see he's already getting a little off. Mm. So this homeopathic doctor, he tells him everything he's going through. And he says, you need to get Anna away from here because she can't take this. Her her health is so precarious right now. She needs to be. So he sends her to live with his sister in Washington, D.C. Well, Anna doesn't like it. She doesn't really get along with his sister. So she comes right back to Lakeview. So then he still doesn't want her to know. So he books her passage Mm -hmm. on a ship called the Ville du Havre. Mm. It's a French liner Mm -hmm. to go to France. And he says to her, oh, I'm going to send you to France with the girls. And he gets the top staterooms for them right in the middle of the ship. And he says, "Um, you know, you're going to go there and we want to put the two oldest in school in France. And then 
We'll get a governess for the two younger ones, and you and I will have a second honeymoon. Was it just so to get her away from his finance, so he could deal with his, okay, So he could deal with his finances. At the same time, he, just because he can't deal with it. So um, when they get there, he changes the rooms, and he gets her rooms at the front of the ship. And they don't know whether it's because he really couldn't afford the staterooms. Right. Or if it was just a premonition. Nobody's quite sure. Mm. So anyway, he sends her off. So- Anna sets sail, and the first two days, oh, and her best friend, Mrs. Goodwin, finding out that she's going, she was planning going to Europe with her three children, so she changes her reservation, and she goes on the ship, and she takes those middle rooms, the state rooms. the state rooms, yeah. So there they are, two best friends with their seven children all together, and they're so excited. The first two days are just gorgeous. They're off the coast of Newfoundland, and it's just beautiful, when all of a sudden this fog rolls in that is so dense and the waves get really awful and I mean the ship is just tossed and everything in this dense fog and it's the seventh day at sea when all of a sudden they hear a crash Mm -hmm. and there was a Scottish vessel that came right into the middle and rammed them and couldn't see them and rammed them well what happened is they saw each other at the last moment and they both overcompensated to get away from each other and the Scottish ship ended up going right into the middle of the Villa, the Ville de Vrav, uh <laughs> ship. And what it did is it just put this incredible hole right in the middle. And the hole where they hit was exactly where Anna's staterooms had been. And that's probably the time that Mrs. Goodwin and her mm. children perished. Oh. So they called everybody up on board. So Anna came up on board and she was huddled next to all her daughters. She had her four daughters all around her. And it was cold and it was raining and they're on the um, top of the ship. And what happened is the lifeboats. Now, this ship could take 800 800 passengers, about 800 passengers. And it only had 170. But here's the problem. They had just refurbished the ship and they had painted um, the outside of the ship. And the little lifeboats were stuck fast onto the side of the ship. And when they're trying to pull them out, some of them are splintering. So only a few of the little boats were safe to put people in. Mm -hmm. And so here's a boat. She's ready to get into it with her uh, four daughters. And all of a sudden, this priest comes running in and says, are you Catholic? And he says, I am. If I'm going to take this boat and you're all absolved of all your sins and you will go straight to heaven. And he takes this what boat in the world? and leaves them stranded. That was her hope. She was supposed to get in that little boat with her four daughters. Oh my gosh. So instead she, she, um, she's there and the boat sinks and it creates this vortex and she goes down into the black water with her daughters and she's holding the little baby but she feels the baby pulled out of her arms she grabs onto the baby's like um outfit but then her hand is like loosed and she can't hold the baby so she's found like a couple hours later unconscious in the water and the ship that hit them was called the lock urn and the lock urn wasn't terribly damaged but it was damaged but it could it was still floating Mm -hmm. it was still floating so it takes all the survivors that it possibly can and the soldiers are out in their little lifeboats looking for any survivors at all Mm. and they 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 bring them on and so anna is searching frantically you know any of my daughters any of my daughters and you know nobody can find any of her um children and then they're put on another ship uh, a french vessel uh takes them on 
sorry, an English vessel takes them on uh, because by this time, the Lockhearn's not going to make it. Mm-hmm. So they, they do a distress signal. They have their flag upside down, which means they're in distress. So this other ship, an English ship, takes them on. And it, it takes them um, to it takes them to uh, Cardiff, Wales. Okay. And so they go to Cardiff. And in the meantime, Anna's looking for her children, can't find them. So she goes into stone silence. Mm-hmm. She doesn't show any emotion at all. She can't cry. She can't do yeah, anything. Shock. She yeah. just can't even even um, talk. So she sends from Cardiff. She sends him. She sends Horatio a notice that says "saved alone." Mm. Meanwhile, Horatio is writing her a letter, but it doesn't reach Anna for two weeks. And it's like her her telegram crosses. She he hears about this crash, but he thinks, "Oh no, it can't be right. anything to right. Anna." And then he gets the notice "saved alone." So then he sends her a telegram and says, you know, I'm coming to England as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And he goes with Mr. Goodwin and they go to New York and they're going to, they sail as soon as they can. So in the meantime, she's in London mm-hmm. and the Ville de Rive, the company that owns the ship, it takes all the survivors into London to shop for clothes. And so she's, they expect her to get a black outfit. She refuses to get a black outfit. She'll only get like this black and white dress because she says, my children are still alive. They're just in heaven. My children are still alive. They're just in heaven. And again, she has this inability to grieve. Right. And somehow, you know, that's just not healthy. Right. So in the meantime, D.L. Moody's in Edinburgh and he hears about everything that happened and he takes the first train down to London and he goes to her hotel room and he's trying to, and he's just sobbing. He can't stop sobbing. Wow. And he's like, Anna, Anna, my poor Anna. And she's like, I'm just fine. I'm just fine. Uh, No emotion. I'm just fine. They're with Jesus. And she says to him, they're actually in a, in a better place. And I'm so glad that they don't have to, you know, grow up in this evil world. They're in just such a better place. Hmm. And, um, um, Dale Moody is very, very um, concerned mm, about, with the way she's processing about the way yeah. she's processing, yeah. and he mentions it to uh, friends that it just isn't healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, Horatio gets there. Um, he he comes across on another ship, and when they get to forty six degrees, um, forty six degrees north latitude, and thirty five degrees. Um, longitude, West Longitude. It's the exact spot where the ship went down. And that's as we know he wrote, it is well with my soul. Yep. He and Anna are reunited at Christmas time. But again, she's not reacting. She's just numb with grief. And he's Mm. got Daniel Goodwin. And Daniel's just hoping that somebody of his family has survived, like his wife or his children. But Man. Nobody. And how are they? Are they processing it better? Like the grief? Well, it's just the a man, the husband, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. he's just, you know, everything's Horatio's gone. Just, yeah. So the Spaffords, though, are unnaturally cheerful. That's what everyone oh, says when too. they return to mm. Chicago. They're like unnaturally um, cheerful. And people will try to comfort them. And they're like, we don't need comfort. We're, we're doing great. And this mm. is what Anna said. He has answered our prayers. His will is done. I would not have my children back again in this wicked world. However, on a note, a, a note that she had left, it said, I am so sad. My heart is breaking. How am I supposed to live without my little birds? 
Wow. So she just wouldn't let anybody else see it. She had this private grief that Hmm. she didn't feel, she felt like it would be unspiritual to show. Oh, sad. And when she got back to Chicago too, she had to deal with all of her children's clothes, toys, Hmm. their beds, everything. And so um, that's wow. About this Heavy. time, he starts getting into this crazy thing. So he starts telling Anna, Anna, there's still hope because if we can just go to Jerusalem, we'll be reunited with our children because uh, Jesus is coming and he's going to bring the dead with them and the dead will be reunited with the living. So he gets in a fight with his Presbyterian church that he's been at for all these years. And he says, I'm so mad at you. He built a church on the back of their property and Anna's just you know, she's all right with this because all she wants to do is be reunited with their children. Right. So people, a lot of crazy people start coming to this church, people who have lost loved ones, like widows, and they start coming to this church because Jerusalem and they'll be reunited. Yeah. This might have to be a two-parter. I'm sorry, but I'm running out of time and there's so much more to say. So anyway, um, what happens is she has a little boy at this point, oh. Horatio Jr., and then she has a little girl named um, Bertha, and she starts to kind of almost heal, mm. and then he comes to her and he confesses. Oh, sorry. She starts to kind of heal. She goes on this trip. He sends her again on another trip, and while she's on this trip, her, her son and daughter both catch this fever. And when she comes back, her little boy dies at three and Bertha survives it. She's two. And about this time, this is when he decides to tell her about their financial difficulties and that they're going to lose their house and probably everything. And so at this time she says, I want to go, I want to go to Jerusalem. I want to go to right now to Jerusalem. And she starts. And so she starts saying, we've got to go to Jerusalem. We've got to go now to Jerusalem. In the meantime, his sister moves in with them, his sister, Maggie Lee, and she starts having these prophecies. Well, this is the sister that Anna doesn't get uh, along along with. with. So they start competing over who's got most the best prophecies. And Anna's prophecies all have to do with if we can go to Jerusalem, we'll be reunited. So his his financial problems are so bad that he realizes that he's got to get out quick of um, Chicago or he's mm. going to be arrested. So oh. they leave. They leave on the, on the same day. An oh hour and a half, they get to Quebec. They sell from there. They sell to... Um, London and from London they sell to Jaffa and they and they take a rowboat into shore and they move to Jerusalem. I'm going to see if I can finish this. Yep. They move to Jerusalem and they end up getting this this wealthy Arab's house. It's you know and they get it and they turn it into it becomes a cult. Oh but they turn it into like a bed and breakfast place and they begin to entertain all these people. And what they're doing why they're there is they are taking the inheritances of all the people that came with them. There were 70 people that came with them. A lot of them died, but came with them and they're taking, sorry, 18 people and they're taking all their inheritances and they're inviting people. And then they're taking their inheritance to kind of sustain what's going on there in Jerusalem. Do you think they're like Acts 2? Mm-hmm. We're all going to combine? Yeah. Well, okay. So they yeah. all get dressed in white robes because okay. of Maggie Lee and Anna's prophecies. They go on the Mount of Olives and they're waiting for the return of Jesus and all the dead people to come and meet them. When all, when all of a sudden Maggie Lee and Anna get in these competing prophecies and then they get in a fight that almost comes becomes physical. Wow. And they're there till nighttime and they have to go back to the compound, which by this time they're calling the colony. So they go back to the colony. So Maggie Lee and she continue to have problems. And by this time, Horatio begins to take these long walks and just not around. He's just not there. 
Mm, he just can't out. take it. He's checking out. He's so checked out. They have another daughter by this time named Grace who's kind of sickly. Mm. So Anna, because he's checking out, she begins to take over and exert more authority. And Maggie begins to go on the back burner. Horatio ends up dying. And just a few months later, Maggie Lee dies. So now Anna's in charge of everything. Wow. And she does crazy things like she says, you're not allowed to marry. No more marriages. God doesn't count the marriage. Uh, We're supposed to have relationships with everybody, Uh, sexual relationships with, you know, all the men are supposed to have sexual (laughs) relationships with the women, just so that we don't have any faithful ties to anybody but God. I mean, it gets stranger and stranger. And she'd gotten kind of mean to Horatio before he died. But again, I think this woman's just not okay. Yeah. No, and she's never, never been able yeah. to grieve and, you know, the spirituality. And she started doing like studies for the compound that were private, but they would have these public prayer meetings morning and evening, which were more normal. And the Arabs, huh. the Muslims love to come to those because, um, as uh, they call themselves the overcomers. The mm. overcomers didn't believe in crosses. Crosses you shouldn't have because Jesus is not dead. He's alive. Okay. So that the Muslims loved that there were no crosses. They didn't um, have any rituals. Mm. So the Muslims were okay with that. So all these Muslims used to come and just absolutely loved it. Wow. At the same time, there's this young Jewish boy named Jacob, and he just attaches himself to Anna and becomes her right-hand person. And, you know, he speaks fluent Hebrew and Arabic. So he's helping her through everything. So there's these Swedes. Anna has to go back to America to kind of fight for uh, Horatio's estate if there's anything left and do all that. And then all these lawsuits. This place is plagued with lawsuits the entire time. So she has to go back to America. While she's in America, she gets in touch with these Swedes and she invites all these Swedes to come back with her to Jerusalem. And she puts all these Swedes to work. So she wow. starts a photography studio, which becomes the number one photography studio in Jerusalem. Been, that's a long and time. And it ago, yeah. ends up um, documenting. It was the American colony that documented um, Lawrence of Arabia oh, and the Whoa. surrender of uh, General Allenby. Mm-hmm. There's so many interesting things. I, I, you know what? So one many good thing interesting that came out of there. Yeah, yeah I'm but... thinking I can't do justice because we haven't even gotten to World War One, and it was crazy. But these um, these Swedes end up also setting up these these looms and begin to make all this fabric and begin to make uh, furniture and curtains. And this is the place where everyone wants to get their stuff. And at the same time, Anna's got like Horatio did not have a mind for business. Anna does. How Anna makes this place just function. Now they've got all sorts of weird doctrines and everything, right. but she makes this place function right. and uh, opens a store that sells um, all these things. And the compound begins to really function really, really well. Wow. There is so much more that I want to tell, but uh, just real one quick story. Yes. Um, you know, it is well with my soul. Well, the music was done not by Ira Senke, but by the other man who also helped with the co-wrote the hymnal. He put the music to It Is Well With My Soul. Mm. Um, Horatio Spafford did not do the music. He just wrote, wrote the, the lyrics. lyrics. But what happened is they published it in the hymns of Moody, you know, mm. and he came back to Moody and he tried to sue Moody for $100,000 <laughs> for the rights to that song. Wow. So, I mean, desperate he was so for desperate for money. And I think that's what... 
I think what happened is Anna, they said, was so dependent on Horatio rather mm. than Jesus. Yeah. Like she never really had that direct relationship with Jesus. She just depended on him. And when he began to break down, she's like, I've got to take over. Yeah. And she saw that Maggie Lee was respected because Maggie Lee would groan and then her eyes would flutter and she'd get these words from the Lord. So she started imitating that. She would yep. make her eyes flutter and she'd get these crazy words from the Lord. But she became so dominant that Horatio felt he had to do everything that she mm-hmm. said because he financially had lost everything. He also got this weird doctrine that there was no hell. That was another oh, thing. There was no hell. Yeah. Hell was on earth. And he had already been through hell and he had yeah, been he refined and sanctified by all his. So now he felt like he was perfect. And that's why he was so detached. Hmm. So, I mean, I want to tell wow. next time we meet, I want to tell the second part. But I think so far what we're seeing is a cautionary very tale. much so, yeah. Because you can be totally used by the Lord, but if you don't keep that connection with yes, the Lord, it's dependent on somebody else. And and yeah. to be real mm. when you're grieving. Yes. And to be honest with people and let people come into your life and speak truth. But there there instead it was like this pride and this hardness. Mm-hmm. But when we come back, I want to talk about her daughter Bertha because she becomes extraordinary. Oh, that's and cool. I wanna I wanna talk about what happened with the American colony in Jerusalem. So that's like a cliffhanger, right? Oh my goodness. That's yeah, a cliffhanger. What a wild story. But even though Anna Spafford is not someone maybe that you want to imitate, she's definitely a woman worth knowing. Yes, absolutely. And especially if you go to Jerusalem and you ask about the American colony or you hear the story of Spafford, those people will raise their eyebrows. So she's a woman <laughs> worth knowing. And we'll get yes. to part two next time. Absolutely. <laughs> so thank you for joining us on this edition of Women Worth Knowing. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett.